Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking the Game podcast. I'm your one of your co-hosts, Stephen Gillespie, and joining me, as he has been the past few episodes, is Austin Carr. Austin, how you doing, man? I'm good, Stephen. It's been a long day, but there's basketball on TV, so I can't complain. How about you? I am battling back-to-back days of no internet followed by no power for hours at a time, so I am just happy that I get to be doing something today here with internet and power, so I can't complain a whole lot there. I'm sure. Right on. It's got to be tough. Yeah, you know, but I've still been able to keep up with the the games and everything, so. good, good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Before we get going, I told my buddy yesterday that I was recording and it was his birthday, but... Cody Blair, just want to say happy birthday, man. I appreciate the support that you've been showing the show. Anybody you want to wish happy birthday to, Austin? Uh, not today. No. Not today? No birthdays. Well, if ever that comes across, you know, feel free, feel free to share. Will do, for sure. All right, man. Well, let's go ahead and get into some news. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of highlight some of the NBA layoffs as I've been hearing it um, coined as on other shows. Uh, we've had a couple coaches get fired and a general manager step down. That means mm-hmm. it sounds like to me that you know his time was up regardless if he wanted to be there or not. Usually, what it means. It's usually what it means. Do you want to go ahead and highlight some of these moves that we've seen, Austin? Uh, yeah, for sure, man. Um, well, I don't think there's anything too surprising here in any of these moves, honestly. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is Chicago. They fired Jim Boylan. Um, I'm actually surprised they didn't fire him after last year. He's had kind of a weird tenure as their coach. Um, had a lot of really odd ways of trying to, you know do things with his team you know they had a record of 39 and 84 which is just a 31.7 percent win percentage which is Mm -hmm. awful um and from what i've been hearing going into this season they thought they were a playoff team or at least a fringe playoff team they thought they were going to be a lot more competitive than they were um he had this weird thing that he did during the preseason where he actually put a time clock in their practice center and he made guys punch in and out for practice. I guess it's like an accountability thing. I, I just think it seems a little weird to do with professional players. Uh, right. And I think they kind of agreed too. And something else that just didn't really fit with him is they ran more post offense than any team in the NBA the last two years. And mm-hmm. they do have some big, some good bigs, but they're more like stretch players. If don't I, I think? I mean, what are you, what's your feeling on that? I agree, especially when you're talking about you know marketing. I think that he's the the stretch big that you're that you're looking mm-hmm. at there. They do have Daniel Gafford, who is you know from Arkansas, so I got to show him some love here on the show. But mm-hmm. uh, he he's not really a stretch guy. And then you got Wendell Carter Jr., who you know was largely compared to you know Al Horford coming into the draft, and you're seeing a little bit of that, but not as much as you would like to. And you know, Boylan coming into Chicago, I, I actually spoke about this on, on one of the shows that I had with uh, my buddy Couch Coach. Uh, mm-hmm. Couch, if you're watching, shout out, bro. But uh, we talked about just how his kind of tendencies and his, you know, bring your lunch pill into work attitude and mindset. It, it's kind of hard to be that type of a coach with a young team for one and then a losing team for two. You know, it's kind of hard to be like, you know, bring your only a couple coaches in the NBA right now. I know that could get away with doing something like that, or guys like Doc Rivers or you know Greg Popovich. Right, those guys, are the, yeah. guys with an, an actual coaching pedigree with some experience. It's kind of hard to come in and be like a you know a, a dictator type of coach like that with no real credibility behind you too. I think that makes it makes it even harder. Yeah, and not only that, but you know he was he got into it with I mentioned Daniel Gafford earlier. He's a guy that you know on. 
I think he was on like a, a video game streaming uh, platform one day and he was talking about, you know, how his coach really isn't the best out there. And we saw Zach Levine and, and Jim Boylan get into it. So when not only if you're a hard nosed coach, but, you know, you're getting into it with some of your best players and they're all young. Most of the guys on this team are young outside of like Thaddeus Young um, or, or Sadoransky. But right there it's hard to have a coach like that and succeed. So you mentioned that 31.7 quote unquote win percentage. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of hard to kind of hard to want to play for a guy who acts like that when you're not getting those results. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I definitely agree. Um, You know, the sentiment around the league about this, uh, this coaching vacancy is that it is one of the more attractive options. I mean, they've got a lot of good young talent. They've had what, three or four, lottery picks in a row and they've got another one coming up so i think i think there's going to be a lot of uh um coaches wanting this wanting this job um some of the guys that i've heard that they're targeting are ime udoka he's the uh, 76ers assistant coach mm-hmm. um darvin ham wes unsold jr the son of the late great wes unsold and uh phenomenal and, player in his time right right that outlet pass Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny Atkinson is the other one, the former uh, Nets coach. I'd like to see them go after Kenny Atkinson. I think he's, as far as those four guys that I named, I don't know as much about the other three as I do about Atkinson, but he does have a good track record of um, developing younger players. I think that's something that they could, you know, really take advantage of. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. And when you look at, you know, his track record coming out of Atlanta and then Brooklyn when they were kind of you know, asset poor coming off of that, you know, get rich or die trying scheme that they had trying to get Paul Pierce and Garnett and Jason Terry. It, uh, you know, the way that Atkinson was able to build up that Brooklyn franchise without very many assets, you know, he went after guys like Dinwiddie traded for, um, Oh, what's his name? D'Angelo Russell, right? Uh, traded for D'Angelo Russell, developed guys like Karis Levert, Joe Harris, you know, targeting, you know, Jared Allen in the draft. he, shows that he has an eye for young talent. And I think with the vacancies that we're seeing, and we're probably going to see more here in the short term, you mm-hmm. know, if you want a development guy, if you're Chicago and you want a development guy, it's probably best that you go ahead and snag him up sooner rather than later. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think he'd be a good fit there. I think they're obviously, like we said, they've got a pretty young roster. I think he could do a lot with the talent there. Um, anything else you wanted to add to it or... No, I don't want to talk about Chicago too much. I mean, it's right. not good news, so we keep rolling right. through the through this little bad news mm-hmm. beginning of the show here. Um, going into Vladi Divac, you know, uh, another guy who was a former, you know, great player in his time with the Lakers and then Sacramento and then was involved in that Kobe Bryant deal that people don't really talk about that much. But, you know, stepping down after five seasons in Sacramento, not a very productive time there. You know, his best season was a, 30, a 39 win season and that was overachieving so it's kind of hard to be excited about anything he did there you know they bounced around from coaches like George Carl Dave Yeager which I thought that was a premature firing I thought that he did a great job and you know it was it seemed like it was one of those instances where the team went with the the player and DeMarcus Cousins over the coach and Dave Yeager and and now they're without both of them they have Luke Walton now I don't suspect that he's going to be there that long since Divock's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So with uh, Joe Dumar, who had some success in Detroit, he's kind of polarizing in the executive area right there, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's yeah, kind of I mean, interesting to see how 
Dumar is going to come in and is he going to keep Walton around, especially with the coronavirus, you know, kind of strapping some of these billionaires' assets down a little bit. They're not able to spend as much money. Do you know, do you give up some of that guaranteed money that NBA coaches have compared to NBA players? True. That, those are all good points. Uh, I like what you said about Joe Dumars being a little bit polarizing. Uh, I kind of like the term, if you're not pissing somebody off, you're not doing your job right, especially when it comes to NBA GMs, I think, to a certain extent. You know, I think they always talk about uh, Danny Ainge with the Celtics being one of the best uh, executives, and I know he rubs some people the wrong way, too. So I just I kind of think that's almost a, a good personality trait to have in that business. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another one that I did, wasn't too surprised about. Um, what you said about the coaching changes was spot on. You know, two, three head coaches in five years, two coaching changes like that. Those were mm-hmm. both pretty quick hooks, I feel like. And just the the draft blunders, oh, you know, over and over, I feel like for Sacramento, they've hardly ever drafted well. You know, they took Marvin Bagley when they had the chance at Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Exactly. And, and they got De'Aaron Fox, but still, you know, the – they have a Giannis, <laughs> right? They just haven't acquired talent as well as the rest of the NBA. I don't feel like their front office is, was probably too good at, you know, finding talent and developing it, obviously, because they haven't been able to do it. Like you said, when we were talking about this half our life that they haven't made the playoffs, that's pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. Right. 15 years. I mean, I'm 30, you're 32, right? Mm-hmm. Or yes, 30 also, excuse correct. me, you're 30 also, 30 also. Yeah, so, I mean, literally half of our lives, you know, the Sacramento Kings haven't made the playoffs. And the last time they were in, they lost in the first round. So even the most recent success they had was, you know, a a quick exit against San Antonio. And uh, just quick shout out to my buddy, Matt Gab. You know, appreciate the love, brother. Uh, Yeah, it's crazy to think that not only did we see these moves, but he also brought in Peja Stoyakovich as an assistant general manager, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, what was the demand for bringing in Peja to kind of help out with, you know, these executive decisions. Neither one of these guys seemed like they were, you know, wanting to do any coaching or getting getting involved in the NBA, you know, executive office. It, mm-hmm. it just struck me as odd to see the moves that he made, you know, and then trading DeMarcus Cousins for Buddy Hild, right? Mm-hmm. True, yeah. I think a lot of that was partially to do with DeMarcus Cousins is a little bit of a head case, and I think they thought he was more trouble than he was worth. I don't agree with that sentiment at all. Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of where they went with that. It was almost like they just decided to kind of dump him for whatever they could get. Mm-hmm. And um, what you said about Peja Stojakovic, it almost just seemed like Vladi Divac was giving one of his old teammates and buddies a job. You know, I never, like you said, I never heard his name in coaching circles or anything like that. And when he ever, whenever you think about players from that era that you could see as executives, he never came up. It exactly. Just, it just seemed out of place. I don't know if it's because he's not from the United States, and maybe that's why I feel feel like it just <laughs> seems out of place. Uh, international know. connection there, you know. Right. But then even going off of that, they have an international front office, but they don't take Luka Doncic. They go for another big in Marvin Bagley. That just struck me as odd. Exactly. They don't even use the, the advantages that they do have when they have them. And I just think they, you know, every step of the way, they just made the wrong decisions. Um I just, I don't know. Vladi Divac never really struck me as a guy that uh, took anything that serious either. Mm-hmm. I just can't see him being like a, a workaholic, you know, in there pulling those 12 hour days like that job probably entails. 
I think that definitely makes it hard. I'm excited about Joe Dumars, though. You know, he won a title with the Pistons when he was their GM there. He built a, a heck of a team there. And, you know, he did it kind of an old school way, really without a superstar. You know, it was a, definitely a whole team effort. Um, it'll be exciting to see what he can do with uh, De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald and some of the younger guys that they do have on this team. Yeah, no doubt. And one thing I just want to touch on real quick before we move on mm-hmm. is that during the reign of Lottie Divock in Sacramento, the, the Kings went 162 and, and 238, and they never won more than 39 games in a season, which, you know, the Western Conference is pretty tough. But, you know, that's a lot of stretch to not have much success there. And they performed poorly in the bubble when they had an, an opportunity, so to speak, to try to get into this playing tournament. So, you know, basically just culminating in a lot of disappointment from Sacramento, mm-hmm. which is, you know, from all accounts, a great basketball area. So you'd like to see them. You'd like to see Joe Dumar do a little bit of something, what he did in Detroit. And it'll be interesting, like I said, to see if Luke Walton is the is the coach there. Well, from what I've heard so far, at least for next year, he's going to be the coach. They said he's safe for at least next year. So we'll see how that goes. It's crazy. Um, he needs to start getting his resume for college basketball after next season is all I got to say. I agree. I agree. I think he's much better fit in the college ranks for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got one more uh, coaching change here as the uh, the Pelicans fired Alvin Gentry as soon as the, uh, the bubble ended. Um, I, for one, kind of saw that coming just by the fact that he only had one year left on his contract and they hadn't given him an extension. That's usually a pretty good sign that they're going to go in another direction. Plus with the new uh, front office, he wasn't really their guy. So I kind of saw that kind of saw that coming. I, I don't know. I think they could have given him a little bit more to work with in the bubble. I think putting that minute restriction on Zion was just, it didn't make sense. Yeah. Um, it kind of hamstrung him in the playoffs. And I felt like if you were ever going to fire Alvin Gentry, it had to be before the bubble or before this season, right? Because when you're bringing in a very talented guy like Zion Williamson, who had, who is going to be restricted and you know that coming into the year and he got great production out of, you know, um, Lonzo ball. You saw a great year again from holiday. Reddick had a good season. You saw Brandon Ingram explode this year, you know, by, by all means before this year, I was all for firing him, but mm-hmm. now I just feel like he was just, it's like a, a bad mafia movie where, you know, he's the new guy and he's just left in there with, with all the blame, all the evidence, you know, prints all belong to him and the Pelicans can just shift all the blame his way and move on and try to build a, a promising franchise. I couldn't have said it better myself, Stephen. Um, I think he was 100% the fall guy, like you said. Um, I, I did see it coming, but I didn't necessarily think it was the right move. I like you said, I don't know why you give the guy a, a year with all these young guys, watch him develop these players the way he did and then fire him, you know, not to mention, here's something that I thought was pretty interesting in mm-hmm. his five seasons as the Pelicans head coach, he had to use an NBA high, 140 different starting lineups. Mostly of that was because of injuries. Mm-hmm. So he didn't exactly have, you know, his, his full roster to go to all the time. He's the second winningest coach in franchise history. He's the only coach in franchise history with a winning playoff record. And I just, I think they could have given him one more year, but I, I just didn't see it coming because of the contract situation. And the fact that Tyron Lue is out there and he's, you know, kind of uh, their GM's guy. You know, they were together in Cleveland. 
And also, too, I could see them maybe possibly going after Jason Kidd, at least in my mind. I think that he would be a good uh, option to try to help develop uh, Lonzo Ball's game even further. You know, have a, a great point guard to teach your hopefully great point guard. I think that's a good idea. But we'll see where it goes. They have a lot of options. They uh, they also are looking at Kenny Atkinson and the Nets interim coach, Shock Vaughn. Um, I th- would have Vaughn to- would be a, a great option for any team. I would love to see him get you know get a stab at a at a, at a coaching vacancy this season. I, I think Brooklyn should just go ahead and sign him and keep him. Yeah, I mean, Definitely. if they don't, you know, someone right. else should pick him up. Oh, I agree. Um, but yeah, um, I would have to think that the Pelicans would be a very very attractive job with the young talent that they have on their on their roster. I think we'll get into that a little bit more later in the show. Sure, uh-huh. and, and a guy that I think would, um, just real quick before we move on to our power rankings mm-hmm. there, Austin, a guy that I think would be great is Mike D'Antoni because if you've followed the Rockets and, and their roller coaster of an offseason from last year on up until today, you know, he still didn't get that extension that he wanted. His agent was very outspoken about, you know, getting a deal done. It didn't happen. The, the Rockets, you know, they have an injured Russell Westbrook who we're going to talk about here in a little bit too. It, it just seems like the writing is on the wall that if, you know, it, it's basically title or bust for D'Antoni's run as a Rockets head coach for me this season. Mm-hmm. And I think that New Orleans kind of bodes as a basically a, a Phoenix, you know, rebirth, basically, mm-hmm. just in terms of like the mythical creature, the Phoenix, and then also the team style that he had in Phoenix with Zion Williamson kind of being that Amari Stoudemire type mm-hmm. player. And, and you have some great young talent around him, and you just kind of grow that roster up. That's a, uh, another great point, Stephen. I, I agree with you. I think he could act. Zion could actually play that role even better than Amari did. Obviously, I think the hype around him is is a little higher than Amari. But I just mean Amari kind of wanted to play in the post, and D'Antoni's system he doesn't really want a post guy at all. And I mm-hmm. think Zion kind of thrives a little bit more in the open court. You know, on the fast break, obviously. But I think he's a little bit, you know, better with a, a face-up game, at least at this stage in his career. So I agree with you. I think that would be a good pickup too. It's not even not somebody I even really thought about. But I do agree with you too. I, I do think the writing on the wall is on the wall for him that if they don't win a title this year, that he's probably done in Houston. Yeah, I agree. And then we'll go ahead and roll into our our final power rankings, Austin. I think we had the exact same selection. You know, not just the teams but also mm-hmm. where we had them position one through three. So do you want to go ahead and get us started in the East? Yeah. So our Eastern Conference power rankings, I had Toronto first. They finished seven and one in the bubble. They beat almost everybody they played. The only loss they had was against Boston. They've looked terrific. Uh, since the season restarted, they've been the best defensive team in basketball. Um, they're, they're deep. They're well coached. You know, what can you say about them? Every, everything so far has been good. Uh, second, I had the Pacers, and so did you. We had the Pacers second, Indiana. Um, they finished 6-2 and two in the bubble. They were able to jump all the way up to the fourth spot, and I know there's no home court advantage this year, but still they could have you know, mailed it in without Sabonis and with Oladipo's status up in the air and no Jeremy Lamb, and they've played great. Um, I think they've been a, a pleasant surprise for sure. And then third, we had Boston. Um, Boston's a, another team that's extremely deep. They're really good on both sides of the ball they score like nobody's business they've got three or four guys that could easily uh drop 30 on you in any any given night 
and they're a top five defensive team. They're, they have a great coach. They're young, and they're just going to get better. And they finished five and three in the bubble. Um, so, yeah, there's our East Power rankings. Yeah, and I don't really have much else to say other than what my buddy Phil here said, that TJ Warren is the truth, except for when Jimmy Butler is playing against him. Then I would say he might be, you know, stretching the truth a little bit there, right? Right. But but ultimately, yeah, I mean, Indiana put on, put on a phenomenal show in, in the bubble. And I'll go ahead and touch on the Western Conference teams since we both Sounds had good. them in order. You know, Phoenix, as heartbreaking as it is that they did not make the bubble. Yeah, I appreciate you there, Phil. Uh, you know, as heartbreaking as it was that they didn't make the bubble, it was good just to see them come out there and lay it all on the line. I love the image that you saw after their final game, even when they won and they didn't make it. You know, Monty Williams, who, you know, it seems like he's the type of coach that anyone would run through a brick wall for, right? Where mm-hmm. he said, you know, I love you guys. You know, you guys deserve to be in there and, you know, we're going to get better type thing. So, I love that Monty Williams is, is was our coach of the bubble that we did on another show with with the guys at um, Off the Ball Network, and yeah, next we had Portland who, you know, had a, a great great game today, and we're not going to really cover those today. And we're just going to do our Western Conference uh, playoff preview mm-hmm. Wednesday show. We'll kind of get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty of how teams did, but Portland. Did phenomenal. I mean, they were basically in playoff mode from the very first game. All their games were super close. All their starters played huge minutes. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dame Lillard gave everybody the business. You know, however many nuggets you wanted, he was giving you 40, 50, 60 pieces. It didn't matter how, you know, bring your family. He's serving them up. It's and then, fire. <laughs> exactly. And then lastly, we had the Clippers who for both of the prior weeks was not on there at all, but they were just very steady, consistent throughout the entire bubble. And by the time the dust settled, you know, we both took a sobering look at the standings and who they played. And the Clippers, it was hard to keep them off the list. You know, they beat Denver, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Portland, and New Orleans. Only losses were against Brooklyn and Phoenix. And they didn't, in Brooklyn, they didn't have everybody. Phoenix, it was just, you know, Devin Booker heroics. There's no other way to put it. You know, they they could have mm-hmm. had that game. They should have had that game. But because of Devin Booker, they ended up losing that game in a very, very close game. But like I said, it's it's kind of hard to keep those guys out of the power rankings there. Right, and I agree for sure. And like you said about the Clippers, you know, they were the only team in the West that was expected to do well that really, really showed up and played pretty well. And they mm-hmm. didn't have Harrell. So I think that's something to be said. He's coming back. You know, they had some pretty good wins. They only had, the, I think, one fairly bad loss. It wasn't anything too crazy. It wasn't like right. they got blown out. So, yeah, I don't really have much to add. It was fun watching Phoenix, you know, that young team coming together like that with really seemingly nothing to play for. They made it really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it, you would, it would be hard-pressed for next season if they gave that type of heroics in the bubble that – or, excuse me, in the play-in tournament that they would be left out because – as we know, the NBA originally wanted to do the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth seeds in a play-in tournament, which would have been a more appropriate, you know, format for the for the term tournament, right? As opposed right. to two teams and two games. Speaking of which, Austin, why don't we just go ahead and do a quick little recap of how the the very quick play-in tournament went? Yeah, for sure. I'll go ahead and start it if you, if you don't mind. Um, no, I actually was kind of expecting Memphis to come out and win the first game. I think just because I wanted to see more basketball, you know, mm-hmm. back-to-back games. I was excited about that. And they almost pulled it off. Um, they did. 
you know, both teams played really well. John Morant showed why everybody thinks he's the you know a future superstar. And like you said, Damian Lillard's just been unbelievable. You know, how many ever points his team needs, he's been he's answered the call every single game. And uh, C.J. McCollum came back in a big way. He seems like yes. his back's doing better. Um, so that's that's a positive for them for sure. Um, Memphis played really, really well without Jaron Jackson, without Justice Winslow, no Tyus Jones. Um, they didn't play that well in the bubble, but they they showed up. And, um, you know, something to be said about that. I think next year they're definitely a playoff contender for sure. I think they've got a, a good young core. Um, but who do you who in the West do you take out of the playoffs to put them in? You know, it's well, especially with Golden State coming back, and you know, Phoenix looking to get better, and you know, San Antonio is not going to be bad for long. Yeah, and then I mean, you could expect you know, team. I feel like Sacramento is going to take an even bigger step back next year. My sneaky suspicion, and I don't want it to be true because I very much enjoyed watching Memphis this year. To me, they're the team on the outside looking in next year. That you know, they may make the play-in tournament, but I don't think that they're going to be an eighth seed next yeah. season either so it's it, definitely tough gonna be tough it is because of how young they are they're still got to figure out which way they want to go as for you know in terms of contracts and things like that you know they they were a really good team i projected that they would win that first game and the only reason i projected portland winning the first game is because they're going to run into a bus saw of the los angeles lakers mm-hmm. and you know they probably w- wanted to win that game so they could have that added rest you know they're not going to play again until tomorrow today is monday as of this recording if you're listening or watching mm-hmm. later as opposed to live you know we record we're recording this on monday so you know that added rest especially with the big minutes that the blazers starters are getting you know i felt like portland was going to come in there and just try to handle business and it was a lot closer than i had anticipated and that made for probably the the most excited i have ever been for who made an 8 seed i couldn't believe mm-hmm. that i it was like i got you know conned into watching bad basketball almost you know because it was like this is like one of the best games I've ever seen. And it was like, oh, okay, but it's for the eighth seed. You know, I mm-hmm. feel like I got, got kind of bamboozled into caring about who made the eighth seed, you know? Well, I think you and I have kind of touched on that uh, as we've gone, as this bubble has gone along and the play-in scenario has, you know, come into focus a little bit. Like you said, it's for the eighth seed. It's not like they're going, they're going to be in the NBA Finals. They still it's have not to even play a playoff Le- game. They still have to play LeBron. They still have to play AD. They're still meeting meeting the Lakers in the first round. It's still going to be tough for them to move on from there. And you know, I think Adam Silver is a genius because, like you said, everybody is glued to their television over a game that doesn't even really mean that much. But they made it seem like it did, and it made it much more exciting. And I, for one, loved seeing Carmelo Anthony hit hit that big three towards the end of the game there. I've always liked Carmelo. I haven't always liked Carmelo, but I do appreciate what I – I haven't disliked him to the point to where I was glad to see him go. But Mm -hmm. I was certainly not a big Melo guy. And I feel like what the Melo you're seeing now is the Melo that everyone's always wanted, you know, that Mm team-first Carmelo Anthony because, I mean, and it's hard to balance that, right? It's hard to be the most talented offensive guy on your team when you're prime mellow and then also be a team guy. We see plenty of people struggle with that, right? Mm-hmm. But the mellow we're seeing now is the, I mean, he kind of exemplifies, you know, the type of player that I love watching, you know, a super talented guy 
but very much team first. He's basically their Gordon Hayward. You know what I mean? Like where he's an all-star, super talented guy, potentially an all-NBA talent. And now he's on a, a team where there's a couple guys that are actually better than he is. So he kind of has to get in and where he fits in and, you know, not be the reason they, they crumble basically. Right. And I think the mistake that, um, you know, Houston made and the mistake that Oklahoma City made was they tried to turn him into just a standstill three point shooter. They put him out in the corner. They put him on the wing and told him he was going to take all of his shots from three. And he took way more threes than he ever had before in his career. And he's a decent three point shooter, but that's that's not really his game. Right. And it's it's hard for a guy like Carmelo, I think, to age well in the NBA because he is a ball dominant you know they call him a ball stopper he, he kind of plays that old school hero ball style yeah the ball sticks to his hands you know it's a lot he of waits a couple seconds but that can work as the focal point of your second unit and it can work for 20 minutes a night or 25 minutes a night it's not probably going to work for him anymore for 36 37 minutes a night as the focal point of your offense but he can be a great first option on, on your bench unit for sure yeah, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. But, you know, to speak to a point that you just made real quick before we move on to the Western Conference preview there, he is basically the same. He basically does have that same role that Oklahoma City and Houston was trying to get him, you know. And, and you're right, Phil, it has been a, a, you know, a renaissance of sorts for Carmelo Anthony there. He basically just embraced the role, I think, for the first time in his career, whereas in Oklahoma City he wasn't really feeling it. And mm -hmm. then in Houston, you know, it seemed like a situation where they were telling him one thing and then doing another, and it didn't last very long. And we saw Carmelo basically have a year off, and now he's in the best shape that he's been in in a long, long time. You know, we have Skinny Mello back mm -hmm. now for the first time in years. And I just think that he got humbled. And a lot of people are like, everybody said he was washed. I, you know, I don't always agree with Max Kellerman, but I feel like you kind of have to take his side on this, you know. You kind of had to evaluate Melo where he was at that moment. You know what I mean? Like, he was not, in Oklahoma City and in Houston, he was not that New York-Denver Melo. He was not that same guy. And it seemed like he just wasn't happy where he was, and he couldn't embrace that role that they were trying to give him. And when the NBA basically said, all right, Melo, you know, you're not going to be on a roster, which I didn't agree with. I didn't think that he was the same Melo, but he was certainly talented enough to make an NBA roster, right? Mm -hmm. I just I think that he, I think that he kind of had to deal with that, you know, emotionally and mentally, you know, taking that step down in a role and accepting like, hey, if I really want to do the best that I can for a team, this is the role that I have to take and I have to be a star in this role as opposed to being a star on a team. Right. And that's a good point. Don't forget too, you know, he was a uh, member of the Atlanta Hawks and never even played a game. So that's saying something too, you know, they cut yeah. him as soon as they got him. I, you know, I don't think... I would be too excited about that, you know, if I was Carmelo, a team as bad as Atlanta, just saying flat out that they didn't want him, basically. Right, yeah, that, that had to have really hurt his pride because it's not like Atlanta was really doing much this year anyway, right? So right. they had Vince Carter, and, mm -hmm. I mean, Vince Carter gave him spot minutes throughout the season. So, right. I don't know, like I said, I'm glad that he's doing well for the mm -hmm. uh, Portland Trailblazers. And speaking of the Portland Trailblazers, we can go ahead and get started with our Western Conference preview there, Austin, before we get into our new segment, which I'm very excited about. We're basically going to be taking an NBA team and running down how would we fix that team, and we'll be doing that for the teams as they get eliminated through the playoffs. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that too, but let's go ahead and talk about these Western Conference playoffs first. You know, the first matchup we're going over is the Lakers in Portland, as we've already talked about it. The Lakers uh, 
you know, got the one seed in the West and Portland was able to, to fight their way into that eighth seed. And one thing that's kind of bothering me about this matchup. And I think you, you to a certain extent have expressed this too. Um, everybody that on Twitter and Facebook and around the NBA are so big on Portland right now. They're so high <laughs> on them. I've seen so many people pick them to go to the Western conference finals. They're not going to beat the Lakers. They had to have incredible, incredible performances game after game from Damian Lillard to barely beat some teams that are towards the bottom of the playoffs that definitely aren't the Lakers. So, you know, I just think the, the bad matchup of the Lakers not being able to guard Portland's guards is overblown because Portland can't guard anybody anyway, either. That's a good point. So I just I think this this series is going to go quickly. And the point you made about wanting to get as much rest as possible, I think, is going to be a big storyline throughout these entire playoffs. So looking at that schedule, I mean, every team is playing every other night the yep. like, whole week and there's no travel time. There's no breaks. And so I think teams are going to want to try to win in four or five games as quickly as they can, not let it drag out. Um, so I, I, I see the Lakers honestly maybe losing a game to Portland. What yeah, and, and one thing I just want to speak to as you know, when you're talking about you know, trying to finish these series up as much as possible, one thing that we have to remember is that the NBA was very adamant and that they were saying that, hey, as these games and series finish up sooner, we're going to try to move the next round up as soon as we can and kind of fast forward through these meaningless open rounds, basically. You know what I mean? So it's going to be hard to kind of figure out, okay, do we want to run through it too quick and then ramp up and run right into Houston? Or do mm-hmm. we just maybe take a take a scheduled loss in the playoffs, you know what I mean, and kind of keep you know, our legs underneath us? I don't think that'll happen, but I could imagine that at least being a discussion when you're talking mm-hmm. to you know organizations within the mm-hmm. NBA. I think that's definitely a plausible scenario for sure. I think that's something that they've probably talked about. I just think, you know, with LeBron's track record in the first round, I think he's going out there to win every game and he's going to play as hard as he can. Um, I think the Blazers being without Trevor Ariza and Rodney Hood is going to hurt them a lot. They just don't have enough on the wings. They don't have a, a wing stopper at all. Right. And the Lakers are, are an extremely big, physical, athletic fast. – they're fast, too. As mm-hmm. For being an older team, they are one of the faster teams in the NBA. They score a pretty high percentage of their points on the fast break, and that's something that Portland doesn't do well against. Mm-hmm. But don't get me wrong. Damian Lillard is more than good enough to, to steal a game for Portland, for sure. I, yeah. I, I, th- I see this game – I honestly think that this is a six-game matchup because – it's so dynamic. It's so, you know, they're such diametrically opposed teams where you talk about, you know, that athletic front court for the Lakers and then the dynamic backcourt for the Blazers, you know, mm-hmm. and the Lakers don't have Avery Bradley. They won't have him at some point. They're expecting Rajon Rondo. They actually have him listed as day to day. So we'll kind of see when they employ him and for how mm-hmm. long and things like that. Maybe he kind of takes this opening series as a you know, to get reacclimated with his teammates and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. I just, I think that Portland has enough to make this a six game matchup. I th- you know, a lot of people are picking like a, a five game series in this one. And to me, I mean, I'm not going to get into a big argument against somebody over a game for mm-hmm. the losing team, but I, I think that the Blazers do have enough 
to go six games because the Lakers really haven't performed that well offensively in this bubble scenario. And you can kind of, you know, you can shrug that off if you want. It's hard just to ramp that up because although they are an old team and they do have Mm -hmm. LeBron James who can quote unquote activate playoff mode at any given moment, this is their first year together. And we also got to consider too that if Nurkic is out there, I don't see Anthony Davis matching up against Yurkic because Nurkic has, he's almost 300 pounds and he's skilled enough to be out there on the court because he's a playmaking big. He's shown Mm -hmm. that he has range already in the bubble. So I don't see Davis matching up against Nurkic when you have guys like McGee and Howard on the Lakers roster. Right. But I think that's why McGee and Howard are so important because they can put those guys out there and they can take that pounding, you know, for half the game or three quarters of the game and let Anthony Davis play power forward a little bit more. You know, the Lakers best lineup is with Anthony Davis at center. And I think they will go to that more in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, I don't want to talk too much more about this. I just, my, if you want my pick, I I'm taking the Lakers in a sweep. Honestly, I think they're going to sweep the Portland trailblazers. I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead out, out on a limb and say it. (laughs) I mean, that that's all good. I got, I got Lakers in six. And we'll go ahead and bounce from one L.A. team to the other. They actually have their first game here in just, what, three hours roughly with Mm -hmm. the Los Angeles Clippers versus the Dallas Mavericks. Historically speaking, just for this season, the Clippers are 3-0 against the Mavericks this year with victories looking like 126 to 111, 110 to 107, and 114 to 99. The Mavericks are without Dwight Powell, Willie Cauley-Stein, Jalen Brunson, and Courtney Lee. And I just... You know, poor. This is a bad matchup for Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis' first time having any sort of playoff look. You know what I mean? It's right. just a bad, a bad matchup for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. They, the Clippers, are probably the deepest team in the NBA. They've got obviously the reigning Finals MVP in Kawhi Leonard. Which, by the way, if you really look at the numbers, other than assists, Kawhi and and Luka's statistics aren't that far off. And Kawhi is a significantly better defender so i agree where with you where you said about it being a bad matchup you know they've got paul george too montrez harrell's coming back they've got a lot of big athletic defenders that can you know throw a lot of different looks at you they can throw a lot of different guys out there at you they're another team that has three or four guys that can easily score 20 25 points in a game um the mavericks looked all right in the bubble you know i don't think they set the world on fire but they weren't terrible and we know they can score. They can definitely light it up. Um, I just think the Clippers have too much star power. They're too good defensively. And I just think it's not the Mavs. I think it's coming. I think they're an extremely talented team, but I just think it, it's a little ways off yet. Yeah, they got to add some defense. You know, they mm-hmm. got guys on this team. Who are you putting on Kawhi and Paul George? Do you try to put, you know, Dorian Finney Smith on Kawhi? And then maybe Tim Hardaway Jr. on Paul George. You're you're exactly. getting overmatched either way. You know, Kristaps exactly. Porzingis is who is he checking in this game? We don't know when we're going to see Montrez Harrell back. Is he going to be trying to keep up with Marcus Moore standing on the outside? Because that's not really going to bode well. Because he's more mm-hmm. of a rim protector than he is a one-on-one stopper. So depending on who you have out there, you know, even Jermichael Green, same thing, right? If he's playing small ball center for the Clippers. You're mm-hmm. taking Kristaps Porzingis away from protecting that rim, and you're giving, you know, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and even you know Lou Williams, uh, you know, a runway to the ramp without anybody there to stop him. 
Oh, yeah, I agree for sure. I think the Mavericks are a team that you can get physical against and kind of, you know, out-muscle in, in certain aspects. Not that, you know, they're pushovers, but Kristaps Porzingis isn't exactly an intimidating interior defender. He is a good shot blocker. He's a good help it, defender. Right, and I think he's, he's somebody, though, if you go at him and, you know, take it right at him and go hard, I, I think you can exploit the, his physical weakness not that he's not strong but i mean he's obviously so skinny he's not a joel Embiid. he's not a you know rudy gobert he's right. not somebody that's going to completely change the way you, you try to attack on offense and luca luca's not a great defender he's serviceable he tries but he's not he's you know he's not Patrick Beverly by any means. Right. And I just I just think it's like you said, they don't it's not a good matchup. Almost anybody else other than the Clippers or the Lakers, I think they'd have a lot better chances this year. Um, but as it happened, you know, those two teams I think are are head and shoulders above everybody else in the West. And I mean, I'm not as confident with Clippers in this one. I think they'll lose a game. I think it'll be four one. I think Luca and KP will get a game from him for sure, but I could see this being a sweep too, just as easily. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that four and one. And another guy to keep an eye on for the Mavericks is Maxi Kleba. You know, how much are they going to try to run a Kleba, KP, Luka Doncic, you know, pick and roll with one of those guys in the corner to kind of spread things out for the Clippers defense? Even still, you know, you got too much defense. You know, you could have, you know, Kawhi Leonard or Paul George on either one of those guys for extended period either either of those guys on Doncic for an extended period of time and he's basically the offense we've talked about this a little bit Austin where the Dallas Mavericks still have to figure out the best way to implement a successful Luka Doncic Kristaps Porzingis team they both look good away from each other but on the court it's basically the Luka show with Kristaps Porzingis spotted up in the corner Right. I agree for sure. I think it's it doesn't play to KP's strengths that Luca is so ball dominant. But I mean, who's who's going to tell Luca to take the ball out of his hands? You know what I mean? He's terrific. Yeah. So they're, they're going to have to figure something out there or it, it's not looking quite as good of, of a fit of a pairing as it may have seemed from the get go. It's almost kind of another thing like Embiid and Simmons and, you know, in Philadelphia. Like, those mm -hmm. are two guys. I don't want to get too off topic. Sure. Those are two guys that don't don't really seem to match up, like, as well as everybody thought they would. They kind of clog the court for each other. And it's almost the opposite for Luka and KP. It almost seems like they're when Luka's out there, KP's not aggressive enough and just kind of stands back. Whereas in Philadelphia, it's it's like Embiid and Simmons just clog into each other and get in each other's mm -hmm. way. So I just think they'll definitely, like you said, have to figure out the best way to deploy both of them together because, you know, they need their best lineups to have both of those guys out there. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that we both come to the same conclusion that both L.A. teams are opening up with pretty pretty significant victories there. Now, this next matchup, Austin, we have... The Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. Now, as of this recording, they already played earlier, and it was a mm -hmm. phenomenal game. The Nuggets stole a game in a, a very, 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 very impressive effort from Donovan Mitchell in this game. 57 points in a losing effort. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was pretty nip-tuck throughout most of the game. A lot of lead changes, but, you know, went into overtime, and that's when Jamal Murray just exploded. 
Right. And I think, like you said, uh, Jamal Murray, I think he's one of the more underrated guards in the NBA. I've been really high on him ever since he came out of Kentucky. I watched him a lot in college and I just, I remember those Kentucky teams. It always seemed like nobody really stood out just because they had so many stars. They just Mm -hmm. didn't get enough minutes or enough touches, but he always did. He always was able to fill up, fill it up. You know, he, he lit up the scoreboard in college. He's done it in, in Denver. And, uh, you know, obviously Donovan Mitchell did his best Damian Lillard impression. It just wasn't good enough. And I'm sure he's got to be thinking, you know, what more can I do to get a win? And I think that that might've been their best chance to win a game. They might still get one or two. I don't know. I don't know that the nuggets are, are overwhelmingly that much better than Utah. I just, I haven't been too impressed with them since the season restarted. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously, like you said, and like like they showed Donovan Mitchell played his played out of his mind. Yeah. But it still wasn't enough. So what, what can they do to get a win? Well, it's hard, right? Because they're without Bogdanovich for the rest of their time. Mike Conley Jr. actually left the bubble today for the birth of his Mm -hmm. child. So congratulations. And, you know, we have to remember we got to be easy on these guys. It's not like he was being selfish for leaving. You know, right. they planned around what they thought would be a regular NBA season and this year. Like, just like everybody else's life, it kind of screwed up whatever best laid plans were in place on his part, right? Right. But, um, you know, rightfully so, left the bubble for the birth of his child. And then the Nuggets, they didn't play Gary Harris or Will Barton. They're going to be looking to implement those guys again. But even before all these injuries and people leaving for babies and stuff like that, the Nuggets were 3 and 0 against the Jazz this season, but all of them were very close games. Mm-hmm. They won a one th- the Nuggets won a 134 to 132 double overtime game earlier in the year. They beat them 98 to 95 and then 106 to 100, which was the biggest, you know, <laughs> point spread between between these teams and all the games that they had against each other this year. So you know, you would look at that 3-0 record and be like, oh, okay, the Nuggets have handled the Jazz. It's just that they just so happened to edge them out every game, and today was just another, you know, machination of, of that. Right, and one thing that I, I think about all the time is imagine how good the Nuggets could be if they ever get healthy. I mean, we've never seen this this team really at, at full capacity. Gary Harris has been injury-prone. Michael Porter Jr. missed his entire rookie year. You know, just think if they get, you know, a big series from Michael Porter Jr. and, uh, you know. uh, Murray and Jokic. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think we've seen the best Denver team yet. And I think the Jazz this year, they're obviously not the defensive team that they've been in the past. And I think that's going to come back to bite them. And I I think that actually – gives them worse chances to uh, advance in the playoffs. I think they should have doubled down on their defensive uh, prowess instead of instead of making the made some moves to try to get rid of some defensive guys and bring in a little more scoring, which you know in, in, in today's NBA you can't have enough scoring. But I just think going the other way is what worked for them and I think that was their identity and I think they kind of lost that this year. Yeah, well, I mean even in this game, right? Royce O'Neal got into a lot of foul trouble and he's kind of one of their better defenders. Mm-hmm. Joe Ingles struggled a little bit to guard some of the perimeter players here on the team. And outside of those two, Mike Conley for as bad as he's been offensively for large stretches of the year, you know, defensively he was still the same Mike Conley. So, it hurts when you're losing these guys and then you're counting on guys who barely got any any play at all in the regular season to give you meaningful playoff minutes against a, you know, 
the third best team record wise in the Western Conference. And but they still they made it a game. And and mm-hmm. that's what was pretty impressive to me. I think that's that's been Utah's calling card for for a few years now. Is you don't see them get blown out a lot. They always they they keep it close. They play close games. They they just tend to fall short. I'm not really sure why that is, but I I've never been too impressed with the Jazz uh, this iteration of the Jazz at least. And this is another series that I'm I'm pretty confident isn't going to go more than at most six games. I think mm-hmm. it'll be done in five, too. I'm, I'm not too big on the Jazz winning more than about a game. Yeah, I think that the I, I think that this one could be another six-game matchup just because, historically speaking, all these games are close. Uh, you know, the Nuggets extended their, their spread to 4-0 from the mm-hmm. beginning of this year on into the playoffs. I think that the Jazz have enough, right? Anytime that you can... It's also gut-wrenching, too, to have your best player put up 57 in a loss, right? So right. I think that this could be you know, another 5-6 game, but I think that Denver takes this one ultimately, and I think that that's what you were speaking mm-hmm. to earlier, Austin, that Denver's going to walk away the victor in this series. Definitely, definitely. All right, and wrapping up the last one, this may be the most fun of all the matchups in, in both mm-hmm. conferences, right, the 4-5. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Houston taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder in a, a revenge game in, in a lot of ways, you know, or, or a revenge series, so to speak, right? The Rockets mm-hmm. are actually 1-2 and two against the Thunder this year. 116-112 to 112 was their only victory. And then their losses were, you know, 92 to Oklahoma's 113 and then 107 to Oklahoma's 112. And this actually did have the small ball iteration of the Rockets in later in the season. So, that's something to consider. I know that a lot of people will say, well, that was before Houston implemented the small ball. Actually, the Thunder did get, you know, they get a game in there against the small ball lineup. And Steven Adams did give up some big minutes there. So that's kind of, you know, is Houston too fast and too skilled to take out, you know, the traditional Oklahoma City lineup? Or is Oklahoma just too skilled one through five for that to even matter against the Rockets? Well, those are both good questions. I think this is a really intriguing matchup. Honestly, I think uh, the Thunder matchup as good as just about anybody against Houston. Like they do rely a lot on Steven Adams, but I think they need to try to exploit the the mismatch the other direction as much as they can as well. You know, not just let it be a negative on their side. But I think they've got a lot of, you know, athletic, physical wing defenders. They've got a lot of good guards that that defend really well. I think the last thing Chris Paul needs is a chip on his shoulder. (laughs) Right. I think he probably is going to have one with going against his former team and, you know, James Harden specifically. And obviously the injury to Russell Westbrook kind of changes things for me big time as well. I think if he was healthy, this is just – the Rockets are one of the more uh, lethal offensive teams in the NBA when they're hitting on all cylinders. But you see how much harder their offense is and how much harder the game is on James Harden when Westbrook's not out there. He takes a lot of that pressure off of Harden. And without him in there, I think the Thunder actually steal this series. If he comes back and is you know, 80 90% healthy and can play the majority of the series i think maybe houston could could pull it out but i do think this is going to be seven games i have the thunder winning in seven games i think you know they've got a great coach as we've talked about you know i picked him for coach of the year um and obviously chris paul is like you said one of the all-time best point guards so i just think 
this is a, a tough matchup for the Rockets. I think they are a matchup nightmare for just about anybody else other than the Thunder. Right, and it's hard with that clutch lineup that Oklahoma City sports with the three guards there with Schroeder, you know, Chris Paul, and then SGA out there. I don't know. I feel like if, if Westbrook is healthy, I feel like that makes the series enough for me to, to go with Houston, you know, because he's so dynamic. I don't think it, Chris Paul can't guard both of those players. Like, exactly. that's the thing. And SGA, is, as much as I've loved the strides that he's made, he's not the type of guy that can really stop an athletic you know, playmaking, you know, big perimeter playmaker. He's not really that guy yet. And, mm -hmm. you know, which one do you want Chris Paul to guard more? Probably James Harden, if I was to pick one for him to stick to. And then you just got to hope that SGA can stay in front of Westbrook, which, I mean, good luck, hardly anybody can, right? And True. I just think that they're so dynamic in that lineup and mm – -hmm. And defensively, right? We've seen Houston actually has done a decent job with this small ball lineup mm -hmm. playing defense. I think that you probably have James Harden up against a Danilo Gallinari and actually doing a good job because he's been up against Giannis and KP, among other, you know, uh, Al Horford, guys that he should have no business covering, and he's actually doing a decent job up against them. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you have Westbrook, that makes – it, a Houston victory for me, probably in six, maybe seven games. But I don't if, – if Westbrook's out, it's hard for James Harden to come up big against a, a very talented starting five with a little bit of depth for Oklahoma City. Well, yeah, and a couple things too is, you know, Harden and Westbrook are two of the the best rebounding guards in in the NBA today, and, and really Westbrook's one of the best rebounding guards ever. So that, exactly. that kind of helps with what you were saying about the, their defense with those small ball lineups is they don't really give up a lot on the boards thanks to those guys. Mm -hmm. And I think what they did is exactly what Utah didn't do the last couple of seasons, and they've doubled down on who they are. You know, instead of adding another piece around James Harden, they said, hey, let's get another guy that can handle the ball and be the, the focal point if we need him to be. That way we have two elite, you know, dynamic ball ball handlers that can uh, initiate the offense, you know, basically switch off, mm -hmm. take some of the pressure off of Harden. And then obviously when they went to this micro ball lineup, small, you know, extra small, whatever you want to call it. I think <laughs> again, medium. Right. I think again, they, they went all in on their identity and who they are. Because I, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what's going to win it for them. They're either, either they're going to do it their way or it's not going to work. So. Yeah, and I, there's a lot of questions here. I think with, if things are the way that they are right now and they stay that way, Oklahoma City does take it. I just think that Westbrook is that dynamic enough to make life super difficult for anybody on Oklahoma City, even Chris Paul for, you know, for what it's worth. I think that he even gives Chris Paul some some problems on that side of the ball too. I, I agree wholeheartedly, 100%. And, and also you have to consider, as great as a defender as Chris Paul is, if he's guarding these two guys, these guys draw some some of the most fouls in, in the NBA. Mm -hmm. So how much do you want to put on Chris Paul on the defensive end to maybe even foul out of a game or two? Right, that's you know, a good point. Or, or not to be that aggressive on the defensive end as to not foul out, mm -hmm. you know? Very true. It's, I think, honestly, I think it's going to be the most exciting series. I think it's going to be the closest. And really, I had to pick at least one upset. So 
<laughs> I mean, you have to right? in the at some point. I'm saving my upsets for the second round if everything goes, Fair enough. you know, enough. according to plan. But now, Austin, we get to roll into an, a segment that I'm very excited about. This was an idea that I thought me and you kind of collaborated on and came up with a really good idea. Austin, how on earth do we fix the New Orleans Pelicans? Well, I think there's obviously looking at our notes there's multiple different ways you could go about it i don't think they're that far off and i think a lot of people think that way as well obviously the nba front office wanted them in the playoffs if you ask me you know i think they wanted that lebron zion matchup but you know they have a lot of options um they are going to be kind of up against the the salary cap but they do have some some wiggle room here and there uh, their current roster that's going to be under contract for next year is Lonzo Ball, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart, Zion Williamson, J.J. Redick, Jackson Hayes, Nicolo Melli, and Drew Holiday. They would also have Brandon Ingram as a restricted free agent and a non-guaranteed contract of Darius Miller for $7 million. Um, they're free agents that they could either denounce or re-sign. Um, like I already said, Brandon Ingram, Frank mm-hmm. Jackson, uh, Zillin Cheatham, Etwan Moore, Jalil Okafor, Kenrick Williams, Josh Gray, Derek Favors. Yeah, um, and, and Moore and Derek Favors are their unrestricted free agents, right? So right. they don't have any, any way to claim these guys if, if there's a bidding war for the services of Etwan Moore. Or right, Derek the Favors. only thing they have going for them with Derek Favors is they do have his bird rights, so they can go over the cap to sign him, which yeah. I think... You know, I'll get into it, but I think that's a big part of why they, why I think they will re-sign him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that contract of Darius Miller's, it's it's basically worthless to them if he's not healthy, and, and once it becomes guaranteed, because as of right now, they can't trade him for any financial value. His, right. His, so, I think it's best that they just move on from him, cut him. That opens up that $7 million. Um, Obviously, they already fired their coach. Um, Mm -hmm. That was the first move that I had them making. Um, So we'll skip that one. I changed that to either sign uh, Jason Kidd or Kenny Atkinson. Those are my picks. And then I think their first uh, move that they need to make, and I think you'll agree, is they have to re-sign Brandon Ingram. Yeah, um, I think that obviously. we just kind of disagree with with how much money they probably go in and offer him. It's not by very much money when we're talking in terms of NBA contracts, at least, right? Right. I just went with that twenty seven point two figure because that looks like it's going to be his the max that they can offer him. And I think you know in today's NBA, Brandon Ingram is a max player, his max extension. I don't know if he's a, a super max guy down the down the road, mm-hmm. but. $27.2 million a, a year for him is not outrageous, especially considering that's almost what they're paying Drew Holiday right now. And not that he's a bad player, but that's, you know, that's a lot of money for, for Drew Holiday. So I, I went with five years, $136 million. It's $27.2 million annually. Mm-hmm. Um, just signing him, that actually puts them over the salary cap, the projected salary cap already. Right. So we're, we're looking at, you know, luxury tax penalty and trying to stay out of there. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, so just for people watching and listening right now, once you go over the cap, that doesn't necessarily mean you get into the luxury tax, so to speak, right? Like you still right. have another layer before you start worrying about getting 
luxury tax. And the good thing for the Pelicans is is that that they won't have the repeater tax, right? Because of the right. their previous their previous uh, salaries and whatnot. Yeah, and small market teams like New Orleans can't handle paying that that repeater penalty tax like you were talked about and more often than not they try to stay out of the luxury tax altogether right and from from what i've been especially if they're not competing for a title right exactly um from what i've been reading that luxury tax line is going to be about 132.7 million Mm -hmm. so with bird rights of a couple players and with some exceptions that they have they can they can add some pieces to the roster not a ton but they can make some moves um which is why I actually went with a trade as my biggest move to try to kind of, you know, fast track their rebuild, if so, mm-hmm. so to speak. I actually have them trying to trade for Bradley Beal. Um, I know he just signed an extension in Washington, but they had a pretty awful year. They were the worst team defensively in the NBA. He was actually graded out as the second worst defender in basketball. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think. Obviously, a change of scenery, I think, will help that some because of a lot of what people were saying was that he wasn't even trying on defense. And, I mean, that happens to guys sometimes when they're in a bad situation. It's, and when they're the only offensive option, too. Exactly. So the, the trade that I went with, and tell me what you think. I don't know. It might be a little far-fetched. I have Drew Holiday, um, the first-round pick that they got from the Lakers in the Anthony Davis trade in 2021. Mm-hmm. their own first round pick in 2022 and then i threw in two of the second round picks they have they actually have 10 second round picks in the next four years so they have mm-hmm. a lot of draft capital to try to make a move and i think i think four picks and a solid player in Jeru holiday would be enough to to get bradley beal from washington and i could even see them adding in another pick if they really needed to but then that gives uh the pelicans three legitimate scoring threats three pretty much all-star talents you know zion obviously i if you ask me i think zion is is the next absolute superstar i think he's going to be the guy in the next five years so i think trying to win now trying to maximize this window that they have with him while he's still you know on a team-friendly contract i think is the way to go so i have them making that move um i think that's something that you and i kind of differed on if you want to talk about it a little bit yeah, sure. Um, and real quick, before I get into like the big moves that I that I mm-hmm. think that the Pelicans should make, I just want to go over that the you know their draft assets that they have. Yeah, for sure. Set it up definitely. Yeah, this year they have their own first rounder. Their seconds they have their own Milwaukee and Washington, which they got in a trade with with Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have a couple of really good second rounders this year. Next year they have their own, and then they have the Lakers if it's one through seven, right? And if mm-hmm. not then that carries over to 2022. Their seconds, they have their own or Chicago. Um, Chicago has trade trade rights for, for that, right? And then they have another Washington Wizards um, trade, or excuse me, second rounder, and Cleveland. So next year they have three really good seconds, it mm-hmm. looks like, right? Or excuse me, two, and then Chicago's got another really good second. Um, in 2022, they have their own, and then LA's if it didn't carry over from the previous year. They have their own second rounder and then another Cleveland in 2022 so you know another good second in 2023 they have their own or la's their second they have they have their own second rounder for 2023 if it goes from you know 31 to 45 they have atlanta's if it falls from 46 to 60 and then another washington second rounder in 2024 they have their own 
or Los Angeles, um, which they could defer to 2025 depending on the gla- the the draft class there. And then they have their mm-hmm. own second rounder. In 2025, like I said, they have their own and then LA's if they want to defer to that season and then their own. And then the last one that they have on the books is 2026 where they have their own first and their own second, right? So mm-hmm. a whole bunch of draft picks. I don't see them making a a move for a guy like Bradley Bill when you have other teams like the Brooklyn Nets who, you know, normally it's not only if it works for the team, right, but if it's what the player wants to, you see, right. you know, teams kind of bend to the will of, of what a player wants. They'll give them a couple mm-hmm. places. I don't think that Bradley Bill with where he is age-wise is appropriate for that timeline. Not that I don't think that he wouldn't be a great fit there. Mm-hmm. But then I also kind of question, too, you know, how does a John Wall and, uh, you know, Drew Holiday backcourt look like for for Washington, right? They're not going to be as dynamic of a uh, of a scoring team to me with that, right? True. Um, I already mentioned earlier that I think that hiring Mike D'Antoni would be a great a great uh, signing for head coaching there because although he has never gotten a team to the finals or anything like that, he has shown that he can develop players, you know, especially young ones and Mm -hmm. empowering them and their skill sets and things like that. So he's a successful head coach. He's not a, he's not a terrible one, right. But he's also not that great of one. So I think he kind of fits a roster like this very well. Well, don't forget too, if I think he got robbed in that sun Spurs series back in the mid two thousands when they had that benches yeah, clearing Corey, thing that those yeah. suspensions i think they got robbed they would have been in the finals that year and you know that could have completely changed the narrative on his career because i do exactly. think he is good. i do think he is a good coach yeah you could see him having kind of like an andy reed you know of sorts mm-hmm. how, how he did in the nfl you know right you could see d'antoni doing something similar to that with a with a roster like this mm-hmm. obviously i think bringing bringing uh brandon ingram back for a five-year i said 125 million just to kind of help with you know luxury tax and, and i think mm-hmm. that that's enough for a guy like you know brandon ingram who's going to get the keys to the team anyway right. basically even though zion's there he's going to be their perimeter creator mm-hmm. um i think that he does and i i disagree i think you let favors walk because i think that if he stays he's going to get a bigger contract as opposed to mm-hmm. where he would anywhere else right and then obviously you let guys like uh, cheatham okafor and gray all go I, I think that you try to bring back Etwan Moore um, for like a two-year, five million team option if you can. You know, re-sign, you know, um, Kendrick Williams to a three-year, nine million team option if you can. And then Frank Jackson for your backup point guard, three years, nine million. And mm-hmm. since he's restricted, you know, another team could try to make a bid on him. If he gets too expensive, obviously you just let him walk. Right. What I'm really interested in seeing is what you think they should do draft-wise. Well, you and I actually talked about that a little bit, and I do want to give you props on your awesome uh, big board that you've created. I can tell oh, you, put you. A lot, you put a lot of work into it. Um, I think their their own first-round pick is going to fall somewhere around like 12 to 14, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and the lottery actually comes this Thursday, so we'll have a more definite nice. we'll have a more definite um, idea of where they're going to be picking here later on in the week. Right. But it's largely believed, based on the odds, that they're going to stick around 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of factors go into it, um, starting off with the fact that they're going to have such an abbreviated offseason. I don't mm-hmm. think you're, you're going to see as many 
picks exchanging hand changing hands and as many trades leading up to the draft because from what we're hearing the draft's going to be like three days after the the end of the finals so they're not going to have much time for a lot of wheeling and dealing so i kind of think it depends on their what path they choose because i could complete completely see them going with what you said and not making a trade and keeping all that those draft assets because they are going to have to pay ingram they are going to have to pay zion they are going to have to pay lonzo ball who just by the nature of being the second overall pick is probably going to get more money than than you'd really want to pay him but Mm -hmm. he's going to get a a big contract from somebody and josh hart too is somebody i think that they want to keep so that's a good it'd be a good way to keep costs down keep all those picks have all those second rounders you know on smaller contracts and it would be a good way to keep financially keep things under control but ultimately if they did make a trade or were planning on making a trade for brad someone like brad beal i think you know wing help is never a, a mistake in the draft i think athletic wings that can defend and can stretch the floor is kind of the name of the game um if they lose Derek favors i'd like to see him go after another big guy um you know specifically um i haven't looked at it a ton the mm-hmm. uh the guy from villanova um sadiq bay oh bay is a nice kid I, mm-hmm. I really i'm really big on bay's game i think that he would be a good grab right and he's the he's seems like the prototypical size and athleticism for you know for a, a a wing player in the nba and he is a little bit older you know he's got experience those guys from villanova have tend to pan out they've been pretty good mm-hmm. um, yeah no so. doubt I think, though, um, we kind of differ, you know, obviously in in the path that that they take as far as free agency goes, too. I felt like they probably want to go with a little bit more of another either shot creator or a perimeter defender, right? So guys that I would like to see them target, if they're available, I know some of these guys you're going to hear and be like, how on earth are they going to be available at 12? It's the draft. You never know. We Mm -hmm. see people fall all the time. And I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a Tyrese Halliburton and R.J. Hampton and Isaac Okoro or even Josh Green out of Arizona. If either of those guys fall to 12, you know, all these guys, with the exception of Okoro, can get their own shot off. And then if you get Okoro, you have another wing defensive-minded player Mm -hmm. to where you could, you know, have him either be the three or the four and kind of swap out with Ingram so you kind of have a more contemporary NBA lineup. Well, I think they'd be, you know, celebrating all night long if Halliburton fell all the way to 12. I think that'd definitely be a great, you know, a pickup for them. I think he's somebody that a lot of NBA teams are pretty high on, and I wouldn't be surprised if he went even higher than than people are are saying now. You know, I could see him being a top four or five pick, really. If, you know, if he it, could. If, if it falls the right way. Now, there is going to be no combine. There's not as much scouting time, so I think that – that too could play into whether or not they keep all these draft picks because they're not going to have as much opportunity to really, you know, scout these second round talents and they're not going to know as much about them. And I think nothing scares professional teams more than the unknown. Sure. And I think they tend to shy away from that a lot. That's another reason I kind of saw them maybe packaging some of their picks together to try to, 
you know, speed up this rebuild, like I said. And I, I would agree with what you said about Bradley Beal's age not really fitting with that timeline if it weren't for the fact that I think Zion makes a difference there. I think with him playing a full season healthy, I think he he's already there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to have to get a whole lot better to already be a superstar. And the Derek Favors thing, I just... Well, offensively, I would agree with you. Defensively, he still has a long way to go. True, true. But you see guys that are as big and athletic as him, they tend to figure it out. He's got a high motor. He's got a a good head on his shoulders. I think he wants to be a good defender, or at least I think he will grow into that mindset if he doesn't have it now. Yeah, but you got to look at, too, you know, they have Brandon Ingram, who's not a a terrific defender. Mm -hmm. And then if you're bringing in Bradley Bill, it's like you're almost giving up on that side of the ball. True. It would be my would be my only argument against that thought. And that's something I worried about too when I was when I was thinking about it. But I just think the way the NBA is going, I think teams, you know, put such a, a high price on scoring. And I don't think Bradley Beal is as bad of a, of a defender as he was this year. I think this he just I think he kind of took some time off on the defensive end. Like you said, he's the only offensive threat they have. Mm-hmm. He's the only real, you know, creator. Exactly. He's kind of the focal point of everything. And I think, too, he'll it will light a fire under him that he didn't make the all-star team because I think they kind of yes. sent, a, sent a message to him saying, hey, you can't completely ignore defense and expect to be an all-star. Well, going so, to the West wouldn't do him any favors for that either, though. True, true. Oh, I know. Uh, I just, I'd like to see that pairing of Ingram, Zion, and, and Bradley Beal. I think they'd be extremely lethal on offense. And, oh, would. That and would be a Mike D'Antoni team. That would be right. a Mike D'Antoni team. Right, there you go. That'd be a perfect <laughs> perfect match right there for him. And I think, too, a lot of the reason I like Derek Favors so much is is they don't, him and Zion don't look like they'd be a great fit offensively or defensively, really. They kind of seem like they would be redundant but they were actually the pelicans best lineup was when they were in in together in the small amount of time they were in they were actually like 11 points per 100 possessions better defensively well that may have to do with you know the fact like okay do we pick hayes who's a rookie you know melly who's a rookie or you know Derek favors Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it may have to do with the roster that they had around them Right, but I mean, it, obviously, it, it showed some promise because they, sure. they were they were better with that there, and I think ultimately that's that's what kind of swung things in his favor for me, and why they decided to keep him. Um, another thing that I I would like to see in free agency, uh, I thought about using that uh, their um, the minimum exception they have yeah. to get it's like three point six million or so to try to sign Bryn Forbes from San Antonio. Who knows how uh, free agency will play out? He might. He might get a contract worth a lot more than that. He might not, but I think it never hurts to have more shooters. I think mm-hmm. he's has a good track record all the way back to Michigan State of being a terrific three-point shooter. And then something that I kind of just want to see almost more just for my own personal feelings is I'd like to see him take a flyer on DeMarcus Cousins, give him another minimum contract. <laughs> you know, At the very least, he can go back to New Orleans where he was popular when he was there that short time with Anthony Davis, the fans half liked a season. It. Yeah. Right. And they, they played well together and he can stretch the floor and shoot. He's obviously, a, if you ask me a shell of his former self with all the sure. injuries he's had, he's not going to be a dominant center anymore, but he could, he could space the floor for a guy like Zion or a guy like Ingram to be able to attack the basket a little bit more. And he's somebody that could give you, you know, a pickup off the bench. He's got a good personality. I think he'd be, believe it or not, I think he is a really good teammate. 
and I think he would be a, a good presence in their locker room as well. I you would have to sell me really hard on the the locker room thing. I think that maybe this is a case where you know a star player gets humbled based off of the circumstances that he's been dealt. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, playing in L.A. you had with LeBron James and company, right? You have to be a good locker room guy, or else you, you right. know what and I mean. Two, when he was his time in Golden State, you know, they had nothing but good things to say about him there too. And Golden State's one of the premier you know franchises as far as building a culture and having a good locker room and and i think is it though i mean that's what they say i mean the whole kevin durant thing and yeah but i mean they got kevin durant in the first place yeah that was before he was a part of the locker room true true i just i just think that you know they've done a great job at you know building their roster i think they've got a good coach and steve kerr I, I just think you hear a lot about around the league about they're very professional and they do things the right way whatever that means i, I don't i don't <laughs> take too much stock into that because you know the detroit pistons won the nba championship with rasheed wallace and ben wallace and you know obviously rasheed wallace is a little bit of a headache so i i think that talent kind of trumps all in that scenario but you just hear a lot of good things about Golden State outside of maybe Draymond Green. But I also think, too, that if, if DeMarcus Cousins was that much of a problem, I don't think him and Green would have coincided the way they did either. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it, we don't know what that would have looked like, though, right? Because, you know, we saw the injury to Cousins. So, right, he didn't play much. Right, so, I mean, it's easy to be a good locker room guy when you're not really out there, you know, messing plays up or not, you know, standing in the right That's spot true. and things like that. Injuries can humble a guy, though, too. You know, you said oh, I agree. superstar being humbled, and I, I think he's, I mean, any normal human being would realize that, you know, hey, I'm probably not the the go-to guy that I was in, earlier in my career anymore, and it's time to, you know, make a change. Sure, yeah, and I could agree with that. I just, I don't see him, one, going back to New Orleans, and then, two, I don't see him going to a team to be the veteran leader. I see you know, if DeMarcus Cousins comes back to a team, it's a team that thinks it's a piece away from possibly being an NBA champion, like a Miami Heat or even a, you know, a Los Angeles Lakers reunion or maybe even the Clippers. Or, you know, it, it could be, I think, almost anywhere else. I think he's more of a contender, you know, chaser than, than anything else at this career based off of just what we've seen recently, right? Right. I, I just I think may, maybe I'm putting too much stock into it, but I think Zion kind of affects how people in the NBA see New Orleans a lot more than than maybe you think, because yeah. I, I think Bradley Beal would be excited to go play with a guy like Zion. And I want to I want to say this outright. I'm extremely high on Zion Williamson. I'm I'm kind you of don't say projecting this out to him <laughs> being like almost you know status lebron james level in a few years where he's the guy in the nba he's got to stay healthy man like that's the thing is there's i agree that's a big if but that's that's true about anybody and i think as he becomes a pro and and learns how to take care of his body better i mean he still had baby fat on him he's 280 pound big kid when he came into the nba really with with a high motor and crazy athleticism and more hype than anybody in the last almost two decades. Right. But ultimately, you know, if he does live up to what I think he could be, I think the Pelicans could become, you know, championship contenders sooner than later. I think that it's got to take a little bit of time. I mean, we didn't even see LeBron James get a ring in his first 
place, right. you know what I mean? So like, and I mean, he played I'm in Cleveland. I think that New Orleans years. Yeah, I'm. I, I see what you're saying, but I don't think I could see a very similar thing playing out for Zion, right? Like, I don't think that in New Orleans, right? Like, they don't have a they don't have a track record of being a free agent destination. They don't have a track record of NBA. You know, people care about the prestige of an organization. And yes, Zion Williamson is a tremendous talent. Maybe he gets like an older guy, like LeBron got a Shaquille O'Neal to come. To, to Cleveland for a year, right, to try to win a ring. I just don't see a, a, a player in his prime looking to, you know, get a ring, looking at a an injury-prone Zion Williamson and a, a a poor defensive New Orleans. Like, that would be my only argument. I think eventually Zion will have that impact. But, I mean, we we haven't even seen a free, a, a free agency built around the potential of having Zion as your premier player would be the only thing that I have against that. Right, and I am probably giving the Pelicans front office a little more credit than than maybe they they've earned because I'm I'm kind of you know trying to focus on the positive here and saying hey sure. if they make these moves they have a chance to be great but they could mess it up too look what they did with Anthony Davis Anthony mm-hmm. Davis was supposed to be the guy and they never won anything with him they hardly even really contended with him and they just they struggled to put the right pieces around him. Exactly. I just think they have a, a little bit of a leg up already with Ingram. I think they already yeah. have their second star. And I'm not very high on Lonzo Ball. I honestly have lost a lot of, you know, not respect, but I don't think he's nearly his game. Big yeah. faith. Thank you. That's a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, I do see the appeal where he could almost just about get you a triple double on any given night. Sure. But he's also only going to probably score 10, 12, 14 points. And I think coming into the league, the hype was so, so high on him and everybody was so excited to see what he could do with the Lakers. I just, I'm not as high on him as, as other people are. I don't think that Mm -hmm. being said, you know, word around the league is he did get a lot better this season. He did. If you actually watched shooting, did get a lot better, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, he turned the ball over more than literally everyone in the NBA. 21 turnovers per 100 possessions. He's got to fix that. Um, otherwise, well, I, think I think pace of play and throw. pace of play and experience of the team around him too. I think has a lot to do with that. When you have a young team and and the only thing that you're doing offensively is run, mm-hmm. you know what True. I mean. You're not running sets. You're and you're without you know your star player. He did look a lot better when Zion when Zion came back. Exactly, he played, yeah. he played his best ball for sure. He that's averaged why I, twenty points a game for for a little while on that team. Mm-hmm. I just I think that you got to give him a little bit more time with the with this team, and that's why I think going after a star too soon could kind of hurt, right? Because then mm-hmm. then you're showing your hand a little bit, like okay, like these guys may not be, you know, the guys that we build around without a without a third star you know what i mean right it's it would be pretty hard pressed for anybody to give up on the guys that they traded anthony davis for that quick too you know they're not going to turn around and just dump them for nothing exactly and you know re-signing them you know we talked about how cast strapped they are you know using their bird rights and you know things like that appropriately maybe mm-hmm. eventually you could combine some of these draft picks with you know a bigger contract with the you know lonzo ball and, and other players, maybe eventually you just add another star player via draft, or excuse me, via trade, as you start maturing these guys and their game starts to progress and, and show a little yeah. bit more promise. Yeah, and I could I could see that for sure too. You know, I may have gone a little too 
aggressive, too quick with going after a superstar like Beal right now. Mm-hmm. I just, that's kind of how I've always thought about things like this when I think about what I would do as a GM. Is I think talent, obviously, you guys have to fit together and you have to gel as a team and have the right system. But I think in the NBA, especially more so than in, in other professional sports, you see talent usually translate yeah exactly you don't see a whole lot of upsets in the nba playoffs for that very reason because it it takes a superstar to really to win a title so yeah and i agree with that but you know my take on you know free agency in particular i have a list of guys just like an nba team has a list of guys that they want to target in free agency and i've listed guys like you know bogan bogdanovich joe harris Tory Craig, Davies Bertans, Christian Wood, Justin Holiday to get another Holiday in, you there know, you New Orleans, right? And uh, even Jay Crowder in free agency. Now, of these, who I think is probably the most realistic due to their, you know, cash, res- you know, restrictions and, you know, other things like that in roster space. I think that Tory Craig is probably the guy you bring in, and then I know that if anybody watching or listening now hears the word Tory Craig is the guy that you bring in. I know it's not the sexy move, right? But I think it's a smart move because you need a guy who's at least competent on the defensive end. If you go on synergy and look, you know, his his pick and roll defense is above average to excellent. You know, his isolation defense is about average to above average, depending on the type of play it is, right? So bringing in a guy like Torrey Gregg, who's multifaceted, he's a very much a 3 and D player. He doesn't create much on offense. You know, he stands in the corner and shoot. You don't really need to bring in another creator, especially if you're drafting a guy like Halliburton, Okoro, or Hampton, or or Green, right? You don't need another creator, especially when you got guys like Holiday would still be on this team for me, and Lonzo Ball, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who we'll see how he progresses too. I'm very interested to see how he's used as he progresses. So mm-hmm. I think bringing in a guy like Torrey Craig is a, is a sign that you're developing, obviously, but you're also wanting to develop the right way and you're focusing in on a guy who can you know, play really good defense, which is an issue for this team, especially in the Western Conference. If you don't have one wing defender, you're going to suffer. And you can see the impact that he's had on a team like Denver. And I think even though he's a restricted free agent, I don't think that they want to get in a bidding war over a guy like Torrey Craig when they have guys like Barton you know, Harris, and then eventually they're going to have to pay Porter Jr. They got Grant on this team, too. I think that if New Orleans goes in with a little higher deal than what Denver is comfortable with, they can take a guy like Torrey Craig and improve and keep the the dynamic offense that they have and improve defensively. Yeah, and what you said about it may not be a sexy move. Those, those small little moves are a lot of times what make all the difference you know, for a lot of teams. And it is more often than not the right way to build a franchise is to go the long route and to, you know, build it up little by little, make good moves here and there on the fringes. I just like super teams. I want to see another Who super team. right? Yeah. You know, I want, I love the idea of all these guys teaming up together. And I, I I'm not a huge on like what KD did going to a team that he lost to. I'm not going to sit here and say it was a weak move or call him a snake or anything. I think, you know, whoever you want to go play with, go play with. He but didn't ultimately, do anything wrong. I mean, exactly. It's not like he broke any rules. You know? Yeah. I mean, they're too good. So get better and beat them, you know? Yeah. And 
I think it was a good thing for the league. Other, I mean, the last two years where they pretty much what it was four one and four zero against Cleveland, <laughs> right? Yeah, they weren't the best finals, but they were. You I, know, I think what a lot of people take issue with is the fact that you know LeBron James obviously is now what thirty five in a seventeenth season. Mm-hmm. You know, if that super team doesn't exist, then LeBron James probably has another ring or two to his name. Right. and kind of helped cement his legacy. So I think that's where a lot of the hate comes from. I mean, yes, you can look at the fact that he joined the team that beat him and they were 73-win you know, win team, and you know Harrison Barnes helped win the Marines, so obviously Durant's going to make them that much better. Right. I mean, that's what you play the game to, to do, right, is to win a ring, and he went to Brooklyn now with Kyrie Irving, so he's kind of – no one's making that as big of a deal, right, because mm-hmm. no one expects – Brooklyn to be a team that can slow down, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers. That's where I think a lot of the hate kind of came from with Kevin Durant's move. Yeah, that's true. Um, another thing that I kind of wanted to touch on with uh, the Nets and the Kevin Durant situation there. I like Kevin Durant. I am not a fan of Kyrie Irving. Um, I am with you. I'm a KD guy. I, I'm not a big uh, Kyrie Irving supporter at all. And one thing that always has kind of um, – made me laugh a little bit is it's more so fans than really people around the NBA, but you hear fans all the time talk about how they wish players would take less money and, and to build, to build a winner. Right. And then as soon as they do it, it's the easy way out. And they're the, they're the villains. They're the bad mm-hmm. guys immediately. Oh, look at this soft guy. He took the easy route to a championship. There's no easy routes to a championship in the NBA. I mean, to be fair, like, there's not a direct easy way. Because, I mean, even the first year in Miami, that super team, right, like, mm-hmm. they didn't win a ring. Exactly. And, I mean, Golden State adding Kevin Durant, I mean, that if there was an easy way, that was probably it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that was definitely the, the closest thing to, I don't know, you want to call it a cheat code to get a couple of titles. And, you know, that's, I think, why people say they're the – you know those titles have less meaning than than maybe some others, Dirt, but Dirk Nowitzki's and yeah, right. But but I mean, I guess that's that's kind of subjective. You know what I mean? I think every NBA title is an NBA title. You're the champion. And, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if you played in a bubble or if you played sixty games. I mean, to a certain extent, if you played less than fifty games in a shortened season, maybe you put an asterisk. But any any semblance of a normal season regardless of of how the league looks you know it's still not easy to win an nba championship right and it it takes a lot of luck and stuff like that too right Mm -hmm. so for my new roster if we're fixing the pelicans Mm -hmm. um, my lineup looks a little bit like this you have drew holiday as your one maybe halliburton or hampton or green depending on who you draft there potentially a Coro. I think if they do a draft a Coro, you probably have Redick in your starting lineup still with a Coro off the bench. But rounding it out, you have Torrey Craig, Brandon Ingram, and Zion Williamson as your starting five. I think you just you need to go ahead and commit to Zion as your as your five. I don't think that you need to try to pretend like, okay, we're just gonna try to work them in there and see what happens. Just go ahead and invest at having, you know, Brandon Ingram and Zion as your four and your five. You got Torrey Craig in there to be your stopper. Maybe Okoro. You know, I, I, that's why I'm really big on them trying to get Okoro because I think mm-hmm. that he does help their defense, along with Holiday, who's another great defender as well. And then on the bench, you have Zion, or I'm sorry, not Zion, Lonzo, um, probably JJ Redick, Jackson Hayes, Justin Holiday, I feel like is another guy that they can get on the cheap. 
um, Josh Hart, Nicola Melli, Etwan Moore, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kenrich Williams, and then Frank Jackson rounding out your team. And I think that that's a, that's a pretty talented team. You're probably looking at like an eight seed, maybe a playoff or a play-in team. Right. That's definitely, you know, a team that could grow together that's on the same, you know, time period, you know, time path as far as growth and development. They've got, you know, enough veteran presence to, you know, help those guys with growing pains. But at the same time, they are kind of taking, you know, that youth approach. Let's develop these guys. And I I do think that's taking a lot of, you know, having a lot of um, uh really expecting a lot out of your development program you have mm-hmm. to be good at developing players and I, I i don't know is david griffin shown that he's good at developing players has he ever really had to or because it seems like every year he was with lebron as his gm they were just trading picks to get another veteran yeah depleting so, their assets to you know exactly. stack, a, stack up a roster real quick you know so will he have the patience to to kind of go about it the opposite way this time and I, I don't know it remains to be seen um i do like the the lineup that you have there i think it's a solid team like you said that could contend for a playoff spot mine's a little bit different i've mm-hmm. got starting five would be lonzo ball Bradley Beal, Brandon Ingram. I have Zion at the four, and then Jackson Hayes as their starting five. Okay. Um, I think I just think Favors fits in better with the second unit, and I think he gives them a little more punch off the bench, uh, along with uh, JJ Redick coming off the bench and Nikhil Alexander Walker as their backup point guard. You know, they still got Josh Hart. He's a great three and D. You know wing player he's a little undersized i think yep. for a wing personally but he does play good defense um nicolo melli i i'd like to see a little more out of him he is what you would call a prototypical stretch four but they didn't really didn't really play that well offensively with him and zion out there they together. did not no uh, which you would think they would fit well together mm-hmm. but uh, you know you might be on to something with zion being there being their five i kind of think positionless basketball is on its way it's already you've already seen that that trend kind of start hello and, houston <laughs> right and you know my dad said it probably 15 years ago to me when i was a kid and i thought he was crazy he said you'll see in the nba by the time you're an adult it's going to be a league of guys between 66 and 69 that can all do everything and and really that's kind of what it's become i mean there's still seven footers but they're the game's changed they're handling so the ball and passing the ball exactly and, yeah and it's not I don't want to say that they're more skilled. They're just differently skilled because the post play still takes a lot of skill. The footwork to yep. be a, a, a legitimate post threat is, is, you know, high level stuff you have to learn. And I, I think a lot of, a lot of NBA players would um, benefit from a little more post, you know, offensive ability, especially yeah. guys like LeBron as they age. I mean, I've always wanted to see LeBron go down in the post and dominate, but regardless, before I get too far off topic, I could see what you're saying about Zion being their being their center. You know, I mean, it is he Charles Barkley though? Not that Charles Barkley wasn't good, but is he is he what six six maybe six maybe seven? in shoes he he might be you six, know, six, he's six not, seven. He's not you know a giant guy by any means. That being said, in the the few games he did play, he he stood out, didn't he? I mean, yeah, I mean, offensively, I think where he would have to. He would have to commit himself defensively, and I think even though he's undersized, he does give you a chance at the five because he's just athletically gifted, superior to very many other 
fives in how many fives are going to be able to play with him on the court if he's right you know what i mean like how many fives are traditional fives are going to be able to hang with zion Mm -hmm. on the perimeter putting the ball on the ground able to pass able to jump over anybody or you know just do a little spin or a you know euro step or a you know just even a little sweep and scoop you know and he's got a pretty shot. He doesn't make it all that much yet, but he he's not going to be a terrible shooter for his career. You know what nah, I mean? He I mean, if you a, saw that San Antonio game, early. yeah, that San yeah. Antonio game where he in that fourth quarter just went off. Like people have to respect his ability to at least throw it up there. Here's looking at you, Ben Simmons, right? But, right. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm. That's kind of what I was getting at. He doesn't have a broken jump shot. You know, he doesn't yeah. look like somebody that you can't work with as far as that's concerned. And it's. It's interesting to watch, for me at least, to see when he was out there. He kind of had the same feel like he had at Duke. Like you said, he's just, even though he's 19 years old playing against big, giant athletes, he looks like a man amongst boys out there sometimes. Even Mm -hmm. with guys that are significantly bigger than him, they just kind of bounce off of him. And uh, it's it's unlike anything I've really seen in a long time. And the weird thing about his defense is he was actually a pretty good defender at Duke. And like he, his defense slipped way more than you usually see based off of what he was in college. And that's what I was getting at. I think a lot of that has to do with his injuries and that he wasn't completely healthy. So I, I don't, I'm not as worried about his defense. Obviously he's not going to be, you know, an all world, all defense type of guy. But if he works on it and makes that his focal point, is he good enough to get that good? Is he athletic enough to get that good? I think so completely. I think he's one of those generational talents that could set his mind to something and really, really hone that skill. I mean, I I certainly hope so. I'm just, I'm not as sold on it yet because the minutes limitations that we saw on him in the bubble were kind of concerning because that was unexpected to a lot of people that covered the NBA, like no one was expecting them in a in a scenario, right, where, you know, you're up against the clock as soon as you draft a guy like Zion Williamson and then you're in a place like New Orleans. You're up against the clock. You have to make strides and improvements to show him, even from day one, that this is a place where you want to be. And his very first taste of even coming close to being in the playoffs where the NBA catered a situation basically for him to be able to be highlighted in a first-round matchup you know, it was insane to me to see that the Pelicans were like, nah, we're going to save him. Like, what are you saving him for? This is a scenario where you unleash a Zion Williamson. Right. Because imagine them being in a spot where they were battling. Even if they lost the play-in game against Portland, like, you would you would think that Zion would be like, okay, like, my, my organization has my back. They want me to be in the best scenario. Mm-hmm. But instead, you saw a very injury-riddled, Memphis Grizzlies team hobble their way through a, a tight game against the Trailblazers who have played long minutes. You have to think that when that's your first experience as a star player in a small market organization, that's why the that's why small team small organization teams like this fail because they're trying to do certain things to preserve their guy, which I understand, but like you can't think in the long term this is for his best interest when we only have him for guaranteed two contracts maybe before he demands a trade right those are those are great points and i agree with all of that and especially what you said about being up against that window as soon as you draft him you know you're on the clock that's that's part of the reason i think they they go all in sooner rather than later with their some of their roster moves 
maybe that was my thinking at least sure um but you know one thing about the the minutes restriction on zion one thing i want to say and then i have a question for you sure if you're gonna if you're gonna restrict the guy's minutes why are you playing him in the first half and not in the fourth quarter if you know you're only gonna play him 25 minutes why don't you have minutes left for him when the game matters the most Mm -hmm. like that to me, you can't convince me that it makes a difference whether he's playing at the beginning of the game or the end of the game for his health. I, I just, they're professional athletes. They're as prepared for the game as they're going to be. And then my question is with the trend we've seen of these injuries to top picks, you know, it happened to Ben Simmons, it happened to Embiid, it happened to Blake Griffin. Do you think the Pelicans would have been better off to just let Zion sit this whole year if, in fact, he was? as injured as he, as it seems that he was to the fact that he still needed a minutes restriction all the way at the end of the season. I would say yes. And here's why, you know, you know, exhibit a would be Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. Exhibit B would be even more recent exhibit in Michael Porter jr. You know, right. both of these guys, you know, had injury histories, both of these guys, you know, they were kind of managed or whatever. And when you sit these guys, you're not expecting you know, playoff success. You're not expecting the eight seed against LeBron James in your first year. You're not expecting any of those things. But what happens when you play this guy is, one, your fan base gets frustrated because, like you said, why is he opening the fourth quarter instead of closing the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter? You know what I mean? Things like that. And then you're in a situation, even no one could have predicted this bubble at the beginning of the year, but you could could easily see that a play-in scenario was probably likely right, either this season or next with how innovative, you know, Adam Silver is, right? So at some point, you have to imagine that we're probably going to be in a scenario where we're going to be playing meaningful games. And now there's an expectation because you have Zion Williamson listed on your roster and that he is playing, you're getting your fan base excited, or not even just your fan base, but just guys like you and I, Austin, guys who are just Mm -hmm. NBA heads and love the game you're getting us all hyped up and ready to see Zion Williamson play. And you're not divulging that, yeah, he's going to be on a 20-minute. Mm-hmm. You know, we're only going to play him 15, 20 minutes a game. You're not sharing that. So now we're taken aback by that. Like, why? Like, what's going on? Now your organization is having questions asked about what's going on. Is Like, we're having the conversation right now. Is it worth playing him or not because mm-hmm. of the way that they're doing it? They didn't have those questions in Philadelphia when they were tanking for – a million draft picks. We didn't have these questions for, you know, Michael Porter Jr. And maybe a large part of that is because Denver was a good team without him. They didn't need to rush him along. Mm-hmm. And you just got rid of your star player in New Orleans. You need to give your, you know, season ticket holder something to be excited about. You know, maybe Brandon Ingram exploding this year would have been enough for that if you would have said, we're not having Zion play. And your fans are like, oh, man, this sucks. But then you have Brandon Ingram explode, and you're like, can you imagine next year when we have Zion Williamson fully healthy and then a Brandon Ingram with a you know Lonzo ball and a draft pick? Mm-hmm. Think about how much better just the mindset around the team and the fans would be if they just barely missed the playoffs without Zion, and now you're mm-hmm. adding in the number one pick who's supposed to be this – all world talent you know yeah obviously the it, it's a lot brighter way to look at things um but and I you're not setting up an alvin gentry mm-hmm. you know to be hamstrung and probably isn't going to get another head coach job in I the nba I let's be alvin, honest 
I hate they, to say it, unfortunately, because I like the guy. I think he was a yeah. good coach, but I think he was a lame duck coach going into the year, no matter what happened, unless unless they won like an NBA title. Yeah. I just I don't think that the front office was sold on him being the guy. And he was a fall guy, like you said earlier. He's just the guy to to carry all the blame, and I hated that because he wasn't the guy for the job before the season started, but. The way that they hamstrung him in the bubble scenario and firing him after that just to make it look like it was all his fault like really rubbed me the wrong way. And every single young guy on that team got better. That's something that I definitely noticed. All of those guys, especially the ones that came from the Lakers, got mm-hmm. significantly better. When Obviously, they had a little more you know, reps. They got the ball a little bit more. They had more chances to do things within the offense. But Lonzo Ball got significantly more efficient on offense. He he learned how to shoot, basically, it seemed like. Overnight. Yeah, well, their shooting coach is the guy that's getting a lot of credit for that, right? Not their head coach, Alvin Gentry, but they did bring in like a world-renowned shooting coach. Okay. Which is largely credited for the the, right, the rebirth yeah, Brandon, of his Brandon shot. Ingram, Brandon, Ingram. Brandon Ingram made a crazy leap in his three point shooting too. So maybe it is that guy. I didn't know that, but that's yeah. um, one thing that I kind of do wonder about this Zion situation, though. A couple of things is knowing that you're not going to have him for the full season, and you're not probably going to compete for more than maybe the eighth seed. Mm-hmm. One, is it worth it putting him out there for for fifteen twenty games, knowing that it may not even be enough to bolster your playoff chances and two do you think that the pelicans felt pressure from the media and the end and the league to to get zion out there because i think that's legitimately could have been part of it too because he was such a media darling he had so much hype everybody was talking about him more than just about anybody from the minute he was drafted and we saw what the nba did in the bubble trying to put him you know front and center in front yeah, of everybody. showcase him yeah you know do you think that maybe their front office you know kind of got this feeling like oh the league office is looking over our shoulder they want this guy on you know, on tv we need to try to get him out there i mean you can feel pressure but i mean ultimately it's your decision at the end of the day i mean i feel like philadelphia felt pressure at one point right and when they were getting like all these first round draft picks and you know trading players away and then you eventually ended up with a joel Embiid and a uh you know ben simmons and what could have been a jason tatum but ended up being a markel fultz mm-hmm. um you know everyone was excited about that and you know the nba ended up shifting their odds around because of how philadelphia did that right so mm-hmm. and and cleveland at one point too right so right it's you can feel pressure but it doesn't mean you have to bend to the will of the nba because ultimately it's your job on the line right and mm-hmm. i think that you know it we saw it bear out where, you know, the New Orleans Pelicans did get new front office people. They are now going to be getting a new head coach. So you had to kind of make some people look like the bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, at, at one point. But now if the NBA is pressuring them, I mean, I would tell Adam Silver, hey, do you, you know, do you want this guy who's supposed to be the next face of the NBA? Do you want him to be right or do you want him to be out there, you know, just getting you money? And then we ruin this guy by playing him when he's not ready and he's damaged good for the rest of the career. And then he ends up like a Tracy McGrady. Like I would hate that for Zion Williamson where he's like, could you imagine how good Zion Williamson would have been if he would have been healthy his whole career? Yeah. Or Grant Hill would probably be an even better comparison. 
Well, when you were naming all those guys that they that sat that their first year because of injuries and all the the positive cases of that, all I could think about was Greg Oden and how mm-hmm. you know the hype around him was he was the next Shaquille O'Neal, he was the next you know generational center. taken before Kevin Durant, right? And nobody really thought that was a reach back then either. Yeah, and everyone knew how good KD was going to be. Like everybody knew that. Exactly. You know, he he didn't grow seven inches overnight. He was a six, nine, or ten scoring threat from the day he stepped onto the scene at Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knew how good Durant was going to be, and it was still pretty much consensus to take Odin number one. I don't know if you remember when he started his freshman year at Ohio State. He had a broken wrist and shot like. 79% from the free throw line left-handed. Yeah, which, and he had Mike Conley helping him out too. So Right. Oh, yeah. He definitely had talent around him. But, you know, they're from Indiana. They're actually – their high school's not far from where I live. And so I kind of followed both of their careers a lot. When, and it always drove me nuts to hear people say that Mike Conley was the reason those teams won because it was it was people – I don't know why people thought that, but it was Greg Oden. No, Conley was a bit of a project coming. He wasn't right in the NBA until about year three or four. Exactly. And, and, you know, he was good in college, and he Mm -hmm. was good in high school. He was terrific in high school. But Greg Oden was on another level. And it would just be a nightmare scenario for something like that to happen with Zion. And especially with, you know, leg, knee, feet, that always worries me, especially with bigger guys. You know, those are hard injuries to come back from. And then we're going to be talking, like, how did the Pelicans draft Zion Williamson over a Ja Morant? Because if Ja Morant stays healthy, you know, he's he's, looking like he's going to be a superstar too. Exactly. And, you know, I just think – when I say pressure, maybe not so much pressure from the league, but there is pressure to put to put Zion on the floor. Because no, I agree. Gotta, I think even from the league, seats, you've got to you know keep your fans happy. You've, you know, there's a lot that goes into that decision making, and it's a lot easier said than done to stand mm-hmm. up and say, "Hey, you know, this is the way we're going to do it, no matter what." When even like you said with Philadelphia, Philadelphia stayed the course until they didn't. And yeah. as soon as they got rid of their GM, they traded away almost all the guys that they spent all that time building up those draft assets to get. And I mean, I don't think it's worked. I think they were a, a more well put together team before and they had better shooting. Yeah. But, with know, uh, Covington and um, Sarich. It's, yeah. it's hard to forge your own path. It's hard to create a new way, kind of a new way of thinking to do things and to stick to it when it gets difficult. And you know, I think we've seen it time and again that teams tend to go back to what they know. Yeah, I mean, and I think that you did bring up a good point. I think that the league office probably does put a lot of pressure on a guy who, like you mentioned, like people were watching him play at 14, 15 years old. Like mm-hmm. we've heard his name three, four seasons before he was even in college, let alone He's already drafted. on the cover of 2K. I mean. <laughs> Exactly, and he played 19 games. Like he's he's got so much star power that he, there was a quote unquote debate on who wins Rookie of the Year for some reason, just because it's the name Zion Williamson. Like right. even though he only played 19 games, and John Morant had a far more healthy season and just as you know star studded of performances. You know, mm-hmm. like it's be, he has so much cachet, and you can look at like the college basketball ratings before he was at Duke while he was at Duke and after he left. And just the NCAA lost so many just casual viewers because Zion Williamson 
was out there. And you better believe that the NBA saw those and were thinking. And, and you saw how many um, you know, primetime games the Pelicans had this season with a rookie that didn't even play. And then they had the primetime opening game matchup when the when the season restarted too. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's he's like a a force of nature already at nineteen or twenty years old with almost no games under his belt. You know, if he never played another game, he would be like a shooting star of incredible magnitude just for the amount of hype that he's had. Like LeBron didn't even have hype quite like this you know what i mean i don't know i mean we we need to pump pump the brakes a little bit on that i lebron was definitely he was definitely on um, espn in high school like with with maybe not to the magnitude because social media wasn't a thing when 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 lebron was there but i mean lebron definitely was a (laughs) was a big deal right in high school that's a good point, and in the he was. Oh, don't get me wrong. I know he was. He was. Yeah, a, yeah. Exact same kind of scenario, and and he obviously lived up to it. And if Zion lives up to it too, you know, it's nothing but good things for the NBA. Nothing um, but good things, and, and they have you know, a lot of young players to be excited about. All all across the league, and the Pelicans especially, they've got you know Ingram and Williamson are both you know future perennial all-stars if you ask me two of the best under 25 year olds in in the nba and you hope that they do better with their guys than what we've seen in places like philadelphia or even minnesota with wiggins and you know towns right i always thought those two were going to be incredible too and they haven't been able to do anything in the league and i honestly i can't wrap my head around why uh carl anthony towns isn't better i mean he's you know, eight three-pointers a game as a center is pretty phenomenal, but his defense is – there's a lot we could dig into there, and right. we probably saved that for another, you know, um, you know, how do we fix a, an X team, right? we got to come mm-hmm. up with a better slogan, you know, like fixing right. it, fixing the NBA or something like that, right? But We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. we got good ideas, so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll get it in there. But Austin, yeah. man, it was uh, – it was a phenomenal conversation, man. I appreciated all the creativity that you brought and even just preparing for this. And, uh, you know, very much looking forward to the covering the NBA playoffs with you and, you know, writing more articles and stuff like that for all aspects sports. And, you know, just before we go, man, I want you to say something nice to the folks and uh, go ahead and promote promote the show and promote the site. Awesome. Well, first off, thanks for all the kind words. Um, you know, I'm extremely excited to be a part of All Aspect Sports and to be your co-host. You know, I think you're one of the better basketball minds that I've ever had these many good conversations with. Oh, you know, shucks. it's it's hard to find people honestly when you're as into it as I think you and I are. It's hard to find people that really understand like the level to which you right. You know, that don't look at you game. like you're a psychopath for caring this right. much about you know, sports. It takes yeah. a kindred kind of spirit to look at your the that big board that you made and think it's awesome and not crazy. You know, I appreciate that. Yeah. But that being said, you know, there's a, a lot of awesome stuff going on on our site. Um, we're actually I'm working on a composite article from just about everybody, or at least the majority of everybody on our team, given our NBA Finals picks. And uh, not to spoil it, but they are pretty. Uh, consensus on who they think who everybody thinks is going to win huh. I, I won't 
divulge that until you guys go over to the site and read it once I post it up there. But uh, I am not of the same opinion as just about everyone else. I usually take the dissenting opinion on purpose. This time it just happened that way. The path but, least, the path not taken. Well, that that and I kind of like playing devil's advocate. I think it's fun. I enjoy, you know, like when even when they talked about Kobe Bryant going into you know opposing you know arenas and just thriving off of the booze and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't mind being the bad guy or being the guy that everybody looks at. Like, why would so you you're think Kobe that? Bryant? You're Kobe Bryant. You're exactly. There. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, whatever you want to call it. No, but um, like I said, I just appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'm super excited to see how everything evolves and where we go from here. I think everybody on the team has great ideas. I think, you know, you and I have a lot of good ideas. I think we've got a lot of exciting stuff in store for everybody. So thank you for listening. Uh, Please keep listening. Keep reading our articles. Um, It's only going to go up from here. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. And Austin, I just, I keep singing praises, all the work that you do, the, you know, the breakdown that you had of, you know, how the teams performed in the bubble, I thought was top notch and how you divided them into five separate tiers and the way that you kind of grouped like teams together and went through and, and went through and explained all of those things. I, I thought that was a great piece. And, you know, for anyone watching or listening now or later, go to all aspect sports and go find Austin's work. It, it's stellar stuff. We also have, you know, NFL, NBA, NCAA and some MMA, which our guy Patrick Graham had, you know, a little bit of a scare there towards the end with the uh, the main card there, but he eventually did call it right. I think all of us were shocked to see, you know, Sugar Sean O'Malley get, get rocked by Vera there. But, um, you know, we, we got some good stuff going on over there. And uh, just appreciate all the love and support that we're getting from, from you guys um, watching and listening now or later. And, uh, you know, as for us, we're the Breaking the Game podcast. You can, f- you can follow us anywhere podcasts are available. You can follow us on social media. At Twitter, you can follow us at BTGNBAPod. And you can follow us the same thing over at Instagram. Are you ready, Austin? Go ahead. Yes. At BTGNBAPod. There we go. We're cool because we can point at our social media handles. Right. Go ahead and follow us anywhere podcasts are available. Get us on social media. Um, if you got anything that you want to discuss or have us, you know, go over for the show, email us at breakingthegamepodcast at gmail.com, and we'll go over everything that you guys want to talk about. We would love to hear from you guys. Um, big shout out to all of our listeners here in the states and in Europe. We got people in Belgium, Italy, Ireland, Greece. You know, you know, so we got some Canada. You know, some Canada love, some Mexico love. You know, just everywhere, cool. Philippines, Australia. I mean. We're we're international, Austin. I don't hey, know if you know that. The NBA is the world's game, man. I'm telling you. That's that's a hundred percent right. But as for us here at the Breaking the Game podcast, I have to go to work here soon, so we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Um, you guys, the the viewers and the listeners, you guys have been awesome as always. I've been your host, Stephen Gillespie. My lovely assistant, Austin Carr, has been awesome as well. Lovely, very much so. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody. Yep. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.